Hey everyone, and welcome back to Practically Zero Waste, a podcast for making zero waste living as practical as possible. When it comes to construction, I'm sure you're with me in thinking tons of waste, lots of unnatural materials, heaps of carbon emissions, like how could that be beneficial to the planet? Well, today's episode, I chat with Chris Magwood from the Endeavor Center, all about sustainability in construction, making use of agricultural waste products, using plant-based materials to sequester carbon, and get this, use construction to actually reverse climate change. Yeah, it's a thing. If you have any topics you'd like to suggest for the podcast, if you have any questions or would like to be in touch, send an email to practicallyzerowaste at gmail.com or message me on Instagram or Facebook at practicallyzerowastepod. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash practicallyzerowaste. Okay, zero waste construction. Let's go. tell me a little bit about yourself and where your interest in sustainable construction came from. Sure. Yeah, it, it started, I guess, about 25 years ago now when wow. um, my partner at the time and I decided that we wanted to try to build ourselves a, a home. And we had a bunch of goals for that home, one being that we wanted to, to build it ourselves. We wanted to live mortgage and sort of overhead free if we could. Yeah. And we wanted to try to do something, you know, better for the environment than what we were seeing in sort of general home building at the time. And we didn't really know much about what that meant, but we did a lot of research and spent a, a couple of years trying to figure out how we were going to do this. And in the end, uh, we ended up building the first permitted straw bale house in Ontario. What? And yeah. And so that the idea was not that I was going to be a builder by any means, but <laughs> what happened was people just started coming to that house, sort of uh, mostly uninvited and you know interested <laughs> in what we were doing and, and wanting to check it out. And that sort of led to invitations to, you know, teach workshops. And that led to people saying at the workshops saying like, hey, I love this idea. I don't want to do it myself. Would you come and help me or come and do this for me? And within a couple of years, I had uh, two partners and we were at a full-time straw bale building contracting company. Wow. And things have kind of just kept going from there. Were you kind of a handyman before or did you also have to learn no, all the skills all. of building as nope. well as nope. how to use I had, <laughs> uh, I didn't have any building experience going into that uh, house project, but I, I had... Um, you had the passion, so that's all you need. I had the passion and I, I, I grew up... Uh, in a family of race car drivers so you know tools and doing things with my hands and rebuilding engines those kinds of things were all within my my sort of norm so okay. you know it it didn't seem that far-fetched that I could attach pieces of wood if I could attach pieces of metal so <laughs> I just got a dove in. I'm hoping to talk a little bit more about um, straw bale houses and all these different alternate materials that we could be using now. Tell me first, what is the Endeavor Center and how did that get started? Sure, yeah. So about 15 years ago, well, we had been taking on uh, apprentices in the straw bale building company, which is cool. um, something that I was really enjoying, sort of working with those people and, and helping to train them and get them set to um, start you know, building companies of their own. And we were just starting to get so many inquiries about that apprenticeship program that it's it seemed clear to me that there was more demand for training than what we could offer in in that company we could only take on a couple people a year so i actually 
proposed a, a training program to Fleming College up in Halliburton. Yeah. And they uh, were interested. And so I developed a, a five-month sustainable building program for them. And then uh, about eight years ago, the team that was teaching at Fleming, including myself, decided that we would like to sort of do this on our own, that there were some restrictions in, in working within an institution, right. trying to do something ever-changing and, and always sort of new and, and innovative in that kind of structure. And so we started the Endeavor Centre in 2011 to basically keep delivering that full-time program, but to be able to expand into uh, other types of training, shorter workshops. We now do a, a one-month natural building intensive uh, we do some uh, one-week courses in Straw Bale and Hemp Creek construction and things like that. So we just wanted a, a chance to, you know, grow the training from from that one program into a whole suite of things. And, and so that's what we do now at Endeavor. That's amazing. So Endeavor Center is primarily a school holding courses and workshops and anything from as short as a weekend to a full um, semester's worth of a course load, right? Yeah. So I was thinking that the Endeavor Center was also a construction company. Is that something that you do through the school's projects? Yeah. So we are we are a, a general contracting company because for especially the the full time course, but for a lot of the other ones, we do the teaching by actually building a a real building for a real client. So wow. In essence, yeah, we are we are operating as uh, as the contractor for those buildings while we're training people on doing them. That's so cool. So where does your sustainability focus come in? So is that just the end result that that house or that building will run sustainably? Or is it in the building process as well that the materials and the, the work that's put into it is also sustainable? Yeah, we, we're, we try to take a pretty comprehensive view of, of oh. what that means. You know, the, the word sustainable is kind of thrown around a lot. I think it's lost a bit yeah. of its, you know, meaning and but I think, yeah, we're we're looking at where our materials come from and how they're harvested and what sort of impacts that has. Wow. We're looking at manufacturing processes for those materials and, and what's going on there in terms of, you know, emissions and pollution and even treatment of workers. And then our, our job sites are solar powered rather than generator powered, you know, so we're we're trying to be responsible at that level. We do really thorough waste management on site. Wow. Um, and then, you know, and then, yes, the building will be sort of like healthy and, and low impact while it's operating. So, you know, we try to look at everything that's involved in the building process and making sure that we're kind of using best practice at, at every point. Wow. That is so much to think about. How? It's a lot to think about. <laughs> you know, it gets it gets easier over time because you know once once you've sort of taken the dive in and and you've learned how things work, how things are harvested, how they're manufactured, who's mm-hmm. doing what. You know, it starts to be become sort of second nature. But it, it definitely, yeah, for anybody just wait, waiting in, it's a huge field and it's kind of easy to get lost in. There's so many things to think about that uh, that it can feel overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, that's that whole reality of of trying to do anything more eco-friendly when we're looking at going zero waste or, or having a zero waste lifestyle on this podcast. A lot of the time you're faced with, okay, so that applies to the kitchen, the bathroom, my workplace, my travel, my waste management, all of these different things all at once. And it's very overwhelming. Yeah. And and it's so easy to not think about the externalities in that, right? Like Mm -hmm. somebody, some company might deliver you a product 
that allows you to be waste free in your home, but did they create a whole pile of waste exactly. in getting that to you? Like, uh. did you just did you just <laughs> shift the problem to somebody else or somewhere else? Yeah, yeah, that's something that that you know we're always trying to to keep our eye on to make sure that you know one of the things that that sort of has happened with the, the green building world is that the the entire focus has been on energy efficiency like that's the mm. thing that matters and that's what sort of makes a green building for for most people in the construction industry and yet you know so much goes sideways in all those other ways in how we harvest the materials and what we use and how much waste we create and how much carbon we put in the atmosphere like all of that sort of doesn't matter when we have this sort of single minded focus on one one aspect yeah of exactly project, so. yeah yeah it's it's hard to not get stuck on one thing when there's so many things that need to be done but at the same time if you can only handle doing one thing then then do it in terms of construction one of the things that most people would see like you're talking about all of the from the very beginning harvesting your materials and, and of preventing waste in all of those areas and doing that as sustainably as possible something that people probably recognize a lot from a home renovation or from a construction site is just the amount of garbage. So how do you reduce that? Well, again, it's one of those things that it, you have to take a pretty comprehensive look at the project. So if you want a low waste building, it starts at the design process where you think, okay, what are my material selections? And do those material selections guarantee that I'm going to have a bunch of waste? Wow. So yeah. You know, for example, anytime you use sheet goods like, you know, drywall or plywood or things that come in sort of standard four by eight sheets, that's like a guaranteed waste stream because oh, your building yeah. isn't going to be all perfectly laid out for four by eight sheets and there's going to be all kinds of offcuts. And there's a good chance that for a high portion of those offcuts, there's not going to be anywhere to use them. And so those things will end up being waste. Whereas, you know, we do a lot of wet applied plaster finishes oh. and that we can mix as much plaster as we need. It fits exactly the area that we want to plaster and there's no leftovers. So, you know, right at the design phase, we can figure out, you know, strategies that will, will help reduce the waste. We did a project once where we used um, a kind of siding called fiber cement siding and it, it had a lot of sort of green cred you know the it's using yeah. some recycled materials and stuff but the offcuts from that and again when you're doing siding there's there's a high percentage of offcuts those offcuts weren't recyclable they had to go to landfill mm, yeah and so you know that was a material choice if we'd done it in wood then we could have sent the wood to a company that turns our offcuts into wood pellets for heat or mulch or something like oh, that so yeah. you know right from the get-go thinking about those materials you know, most people think about construction waste as a on-site management issue, like separate, you know, your different streams and make sure things yeah. get recycled. But you can, if you think about it one step uh, ahead at the design phase, you can actually eliminate most of the materials that are going to cause your waste to the point where the, we did a project in 2017 where we only had 18 pounds of landfill waste from, <gasps> from building a house. Oh my God. And, and that was just, you know, basically everything in that, in that building could be recycled or composted or mulched or, you know, in some other way, not end up in landfill. Oh um, my gosh. But, but it took going into that project with that as a goal, we were choosing materials to make sure that 
it could be a zero waste building versus getting a bunch of materials and then hoping we can sort them out on site. Exactly. Wow. So what's the cost of that? Like, is that a crazy expensive way to build nowadays? Or no, in, is fact, that... in that in that particular case, it, it was you know extremely comparable to, to conventional construction. Wow. Labor. You know, if if there's an expense, it's it's you know to spend the time uh, mm. to think about it as you're doing the design. So for us, you know, that's it's starting to come pretty easily because we've done it a lot. We know what materials we can and can't recycle. Right, the research And is it done. changes by location too, right? Like what, what I can recycle here in Peterborough is different than what somebody might be able to recycle in Toronto or in Edmonton yeah. or, you know, um, there are places where you can send your drywall to recycling. This isn't one of them. So, you know, there's lots of building materials that are in theory recyclable, but you have to be able to recycle them where you are, or it doesn't matter that exactly. it's potentially recyclable. So, uh, like yeah, coffee cups. The, yeah, so there's that <laughs> level of, of research. It's not that it's more expensive to build that way. It's just it has to be on your radar, and you have to spend the time to uh, to think about it and to you know to know what the waste streams are going to be and and how they're handled in your area. Yeah, planning ahead is is so huge. There's um, yeah. I think there's the triangle of cheap, fast, and good. And uh, you can only have two of those things at a time. You can't have it be cheap, fast, and good quality. And so... <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I might, I might argue that. I think, okay. I think we've, you know, we've definitely found some ways to do things and found some things to do that that get all three. Awesome. At this stage, you've done the research hundreds of times for all of your different projects, so it becomes quick it becomes second nature to know that in this area this can be recycled and these are the materials we should use yeah and also you know i think one of the things that it it needs to change is right now you know everything is on the the end user of these products or materials whether it's you know what you were talking about sort of home at the home level trying to reduce your waste or a construction site you know, all of that has sort of been downloaded to us as the final users when, you know, in, in reality, it should be the companies who are making the money selling these products to us in the first place. They should be making sure that if it's a recyclable and they're selling it as a recyclable, that it actually is recyclable everywhere or that, you know, their packaging is recyclable or they'll take it back or places that there are some, you know, building supply companies that will take back offcuts it's not always easy or practical to get them to them but I think so much of this we've gotten used to the fact that it's my responsibility as the end user and I would love to see you know uh, a regulatory environment sort of develop where no how about the person who's making the money in this equation also taking responsibility exactly um, to at least some degree for what that the waste side of, of that equation absolutely and and to be able to prevent that waste while it's being manufactured and then sending it to us like that's could be applied again to to every kind of thing that we consume to have yeah yeah not all the pressure be put on the end user exactly yeah so what is a zero house <laughs> that was a, a term that we came up with for our, our the project that we did with our class in 2017 and we sort of realized that we work with a, a criteria matrix for doing our projects. So when I was talking about all the those different aspects that we think about in a project, we sort of have this criteria matrix where people, we've got 10 different environmental criteria hmm. and 
our clients sort of respond to those and tell us which ones they really care about. One project, it might be somebody is super concerned about chemical content and off-gassing and sort of occupant health in the building. Mm -hmm. And so that that's the leading priority for somebody. It might be the carbon footprint of the building or the ecological impacts or, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that that could be what a person means when they mean they want a sustainable building. Yeah. Um, but for this project, we sort of set the goals ourselves. And so we realized like high on our goal list was a, a zero carbon footprint, zero toxins, zero energy use, wow. net energy use and zero waste. And so we were like, oh, well, we're aiming for these zeros in in all those areas so we kind of uh, named the building zero house awesome so how did that go went really well yeah we uh we basically hit all of those goals we exceeded the carbon footprint one the building ended up being uh, a net storer of carbon rather than an emitter of carbon it all worked out very well that's crazy is that something that people could learn more of on your blog or on your website at all yeah for all of our buildings we do these sort of start to finish books on our website so you can kind of see how how all of those projects were were built from beginning to end oh amazing that's great that'll be an awesome source of inspiration for anybody who's uh, yeah. wanting to learn lots more you were able to sequester carbon or store carbon in this house that's sort of become a really key part of what uh, Endeavor and, and myself in particular has been working on. So in the sort of manufacturing of all the materials that go into a building, there are um, a lot of emissions associated with everything from, from harvesting to transporting to manufacturing right. those materials. And it turns out that, that that sort of carbon footprint can be really high. Most people estimate that somewhere between like 10 and 11% of all human-caused emissions on the planet are from manufacturing building materials. So it's, wow. a, it's a big piece of the puzzle that we have to solve to yeah. stop climate change but at the same time there's any building material you use that is plant-based those plants have actually pulled carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and used the carbon to build themselves you know half the weight of most plant materials is carbon and so that becomes sort of a net carbon storage a sort of when you're making the equation of the materials you've used that emit carbon and the materials that store it you know we're able to basically pack enough plant-based material into a building that even though we do use you know glass in our windows and metal roofs and things that do have associated emissions the uh, the overall balance is a is a net storage and so that that zero house building had 25 tons of net storage wow. in its materials so that you know it becomes something that rather than contributing to climate change that building actually helps in a small way at a one building scale actually reverse it that's amazing so that's project drawdown that's drawdown it? yeah it totally is yeah i'm not uh, associated or affiliated but i love the book and i'm a big fan of the, the work they do and it's basically a a group of scientists who have you know done a whole bunch of research to figure out what are the 100 best most feasible and cost effective ways to basically not just prevent more carbon emissions on the planet but to actually start reversing them they basically did a, a ranked scale from from one to a hundred of the best ideas that 
you know, we all collectively could get behind to pull a whole bunch of CO2 out of the atmosphere and put it in other places and try to try to rebalance the, the climate. It's amazing. And and carbon sequestration is, is such a, a neat thing that you probably wouldn't have thought about. It's amazing because, uh, you know, I just, I'm actually just at the end of doing a master's thesis at Trent University on, you know, the potential for being able to store a lot of carbon in buildings. Wow. Um, and the exciting thing is that for a lot of these materials, they're things that we already grow. So we use a lot of different straw-based materials from straw bales to compressed straw panels and straw boards and things like that. Wow. And there's enough straw grown already on the planet on an annual basis that it basically does draw all the equivalent of all the emissions of all transportation on the planet get absorbed mm. by each straw crop in the world each year but currently you know we harvest the grain and then we either burn the straw or just let it molder in the field and so all that carbon goes back <gasps> into the atmosphere as carbon dioxide Whoa, but okay you know it's not we don't even have to plant new things or do anything besides what we already do if it's we just can a just, waste product you could be gathering you know, that up. take um a lot of our, our agricultural residues and put them into products where they will be stored for some length of time. There's the possibility to make a really big impact on climate change. That's incredible. Is that one of the ones in Project Dawdown? It's not, actually. No, I don't think. <laughs> um, I'm sure they had they more had, than 100 they, they had, on their they, list. Because the notion of, of building with those kind of plant-based materials is still pretty fringe, I don't think it, it sort of uh, made their cut as, you know, something right. that people are actually doing or, or thinking about in a serious way. That's amazing. Um, but I have a feeling that they're working on version two right now, and I'm pretty sure that it's going to end up in there because there, there's been a bunch of work myself and, and other people pointing out that this is a big opportunity. And It's such a and wise so, way to use a waste product. Yeah, especially because it's already there. You know, like yeah. you can... There's people saying, well, we just need to plant a trillion trees and that'll help fix climate change. And that's great. And I hope we can do something like that. But at the same time, all that egg residue, those crops are already being planted. They're already being harvested. They're just not being used. So it's it's a lot easier to, to capture something like that than it is to try to do things from scratch, try to start exactly. you know, these huge projects. And, and, you know, there's been lots of good work done there are lots of companies that know how to turn straw into useful products and we don't have to reinvent anything or or make anything from scratch we just have to sort of expand on what people are already doing certainly don't have to reinvent something because using straw as insulation and and even like thatched roofing and stuff isn't that drawing from history yeah totally yeah and there's some companies doing great things with there's a several companies in europe that make you know, prefabricated straw bale wall systems so wow. that, you know, your your matrix earlier on of, of cheap, fast, and easy, yeah. you know, it's it, they're sort of getting into that territory where because it's preassembled in a factory, they, they've got the price down, it's really convenient, kind of like very cost competitive with, uh, with conventional building. And still really durable and long lasting. Yeah. Which is definitely what people are looking for in a product that they don't want to have to yeah you know restuff their walls full of straw every single year or something yeah. <laughs> or have to deal with a mold problem or whatever that's right yeah yeah no i mean the original straw bale buildings from nebraska you know there are a lot of them still being lived in and occupied wow from 100 years ago if we can store that carbon for 
at least a hundred years or more, that's pretty effective. That's amazing. So what are some of the other, you mentioned something called hempcrete and a couple other plant-based building materials. What, can you tell me a bit about those? Sure. Yeah. I mean, straw is just one. There's a lot of, of different plants that, that can get used. So hempcrete is, uh, is another insulation material that is basically the, the chopped up core of the hemp plant after the fiber has been stripped from it oh wow um, so another waste product cool yeah exactly and it that one uses a uh, a lime binder which is sort of like a an old version of cement to glue all the little pieces of hemp together in a wall and so you get a good insulation and because it's coated in lime, it's also fireproof and, and really resistant to moisture. Wow. There are things like cork out there. There's also a lot of waste plant materials, like um, a lot of buildings are insulated with cellulose insulation, which is ground up recycled newsprint that can't be made back into paper again. Wow. And so same thing, if we can grab that carbon and put it in a building, you know, there, there's just, there are so many potential pools of plant-based fibers that, that can make their way into buildings. And, and you know, wood is, is another obvious one, although whether wood is carbon beneficial or not depends entirely on how it was grown and how it was harvested. Right. Um, it's certainly not a, as straight up an equation as the, uh, as the egg waste. Yeah. One. Sometimes wood can end up being a net emitter if it's from a, clear-cut forest on the other side of the continent exactly Uh, yeah it does the numbers don't always add up but you know good well-harvested local wood is is definitely uh another potential plant-based material that can be used and yeah the list is pretty long there are just you know all kinds of of different plants and depending on where you are in the world too we had a, a student at endeavor from ghana and you know they have all this uh palm kernel shell there wow and palm kernel fiber amazing building materials for that region because there's such a massive quantity of them and you can use them in so many different ways so it's we definitely don't have a shortage of potential sources of of those kind of materials to put in buildings and i love that it depends on the country too like everywhere is going to have a different kind of excessive waste material and then it can just be used and adapted yeah, totally. I mean, could... in places that grow rice, which is, you know, lots of parts of the world, the hulls, the shells of the little rice kernels are like an amazing insulation. You know, wow. The best plant-based insulation in terms of its R value, very hard to burn because it's really high in silica, super easy to install, and we grow billions of tons of them a year, and nobody, there sort of isn't a, a way to get rid of them because they don't break down or compost very well or even burn very well. Wow. So wherever you are, there's probably a good number of different egg residues that you know we can put into buildings and, and turn them into carbon stores instead of emitters. That's incredible. How easy is it to access you said the options are sustainably or properly harvested wood or even locally harvested wood. Like if I was going to build something locally, I wouldn't just go to Home Depot. I would have to find something like a different company that's prepping wood for building locally or how would I do that? Yeah, there's a couple there's a couple pathways. So the Forest Stewardship Council, FSC, that's a third party kind of certification for sustainable forestry. So if you can find wood at, you know, any of the major retailers that is stamped by the FSC, then 
that's a pretty good indication that, you know, good, good sort of harvesting and, and management procedures have been used in getting that wood to you. So mm-hmm. definitely that's probably the, the easiest way. And if not that, then it's, it's basically seeking out the smaller local sawmills in your area. So mm. here in Peterborough, we've got a list of, there's probably about a dozen within, wow. you know, a 45 minute drive of Peterborough of small mills that, you know, some of them specialize in flooring, some in siding, but basically you can get most or or all of the wood from a project straight from those local mills. Wow. But again, you know, it's one of those things, they don't have vast stocks. It's not like walking to Home Depot and there's, you know, a thousand skids of two by fours, you know, there you might actually have to place an order with them. Yeah, give them the time to actually source the trees and cut it and dry it and do all of that stuff. So again, that's something that you're going to want to plan into a project from the get-go. You can't right. need your siding tomorrow, want to do local siding and, and think that you're just going to go get this awesome local siding on the same day. You know, it often takes some forethought to make sure that that's planned in. Yeah, planning is such a huge element of any sort of low-impact project or living lifestyle because a lot of the time it requires advance notice or sourcing things out properly or waiting until that perfect thing comes along instead of impulsively yeah. getting the, the cheapest and easily available thing from the dollar store. It's, yeah. like Exactly, it's... yeah. And again, that's, that's sort of the downloading on us as end users mm-hmm. side of things. Like if the entire, you know, lumber industry would get themselves FSC certified, we could all go to any building retail outlet and get good wood, but because that's not the norm, the person who wants to hit that higher standard, it's your responsibility to Mm. go out and do that research and the work and the tracking things down and that advanced planning that it does make it harder to uh, to -hmm. do. It's so much easier to just drive your truck to a big box store and mm-hmm. get what's on the shelf uh, yeah. right when you need it than it is to have to think about it in advance. Yeah. Is that hard to find? Like you said, if everybody at Home Depot or Rona or somebody was stocking FFC wood, is that realistic? Like, is there enough sustainably planted and harvested forests available to have that much quantity available in stock in some place like Home Depot? You know, there are a lot of, of FSC certified forests, and I think this isn't my area of expertise, but large tracts of, of forest could become FSC certified on fairly short notice because it's more about how you harvest now and how you replant after oh, you harvest. Okay. Um, and also sort of like what happens to the portions of the tree that don't go into an actual lumber product. The FSC has rules about what can be sort of left on the forest floor, what happens to your sawdust, what happens to the bark, what happens to the the slab woods from the side of the tree. So their certification sort of is looking at at all of that. Wow. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of these things are are things that if the lumber industry was regulated to meet Mm -hmm. something like the FSC program, then people would, you know. It would just be the New reality. The world is full of good capitalists who know how to make money regardless of what the rule structure is. <laughs> so if we make a good rule structure, people will figure out how to living within those rules. And, I love that. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about your building school. We typically try to focus on buildings for that are public buildings. Okay. So cool. currently we're the project we're working on is for a YMCA camp. 
you know, we've got a project coming up for Trent University. We've done a food bank. We've done a museum. We've done a community arts center, an outdoor education center. We're doing a health unit building for a camp. So our sort of ideal project is one that we can teach the students while they build, but that because the building gets used by and experienced by a lot of people, it has an ongoing life as an educational piece rather than, you know, single family homes, which are great to teach a handful of students, but then it stops being, uh, you know, an educational piece once somebody moves in and, you know, doesn't want to do weekly tours or have people come to their house, which is completely (laughs) understandable. But we just last year did a um, a renovation here in Peterborough. We turned a really old, empty concrete block garage in a residence and, you know, obviously that is a, a residence, but the opportunity to sort of take advantage of Peterborough's new secondary dwelling units bylaw and turn old unused space in the downtown into useful space. You know, there was enough good stuff in, in that that it was, you know, we were open to doing a, a private residence in that case. So we don't really have a hard and fast rules. We just, we want really interesting projects and mostly we want clients who really want to aim as high as possible in terms of all those goals and criteria that we've been talking about our sort of mode of operation and endeavor is to do the best we can in in every single one of those areas and so what we're really looking for is clients who also kind of share that that vision of, of doing something not just a little bit better but pretty awesome (laughs) that's wonderful that's so cool and I I love too that you're getting involved or that you were um, involved for one project in that converting a new space in the downtown area and just trying to like build up that area so that there's more places for people to live and I don't like I don't know if this is kind of getting off topic but are those affordable places or is that like some sort of luxe condo now that it's this garage that's (laughs) eco-friendly yeah I mean it's it's basically you know a market rate place okay, good. Um, yeah it's not on the, the lowest end of the scale but it's definitely not on the highest end of the scale but yeah I think there's there's a lot of opportunities now that Peterborough and a lot of other cities have have sort of enacted these secondary suite bylaws to you know to be able to add density with you know really mm-hmm. interesting often smaller and really efficient little buildings on existing lots a lot more of that start to happen I want to do that with my garage we don't use it <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I just yeah. Works, I mean, that's so. the thing. There are so that. many spaces, and or just even if it's not an existing building, like just a large lot, yeah. where you could put a really nice little three or four or five hundred square foot suite, you know, yeah. on the same property as an existing home. That's awesome. People doing home renovations could they take an intensive workshop or any of your courses and really kind of learn the ins and outs of how to, I don't know, sustainably remodel their kitchen or or something like that like is there a way to engage people in that way yeah totally yeah so our 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 most popular course at endeavor it's our it's a two-day workshop called design your own sustainable home What? and it's basically two days of (laughs) yeah two days of going through just a lot of the things we've been talking about like what are the things that make a building sustainable so learning about all those different criteria and what they mean and how you would figure out whether this is something you're interested in and if you are how you would go about meeting those and then looking at we go through kind of all the material options that exist both kind of conventional and alternative materials and then we look at you know all the different mechanical systems and all the options for things like 
you know, water collection and treatment, uh, waste heating systems, cooling systems, all those sorts of things, energy systems. So it's a really great, huge chunk of information for anybody wanting to go down that path. It's a, it's a great place to start. That's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> so is your place that you're living in now been adapted over the years with all of these new practices that you've been learning about? Yeah, it's it's actually a uh, a straw bale house right in Peterborough, and it is something that we uh, we built with a group of students back in 2012. Kind of a, a showcase of all of those things that we we try to do, and it's great. You know, we're able to bring workshop participants here. So after that design your own home workshop when we've talked a lot about things you know then people can come over here and sort of see what those things actually look like and how they function in practice so that's uh, fantastic yeah when people are designing their own sustainable home with this intensive workshop are they faced with a lot of things like oh i can't have this or i can't have that because uh, it's less sustainable like to people get discouraged at all is there anything like that um no there's i mean there's not much that you can't necessarily have it's more the biggest thing that we go through in that is, is for people to actually you know figure out what their own goals are because you know for the person who's you know maybe their two biggest priorities are they don't want to have a carbon footprint and they have a very small budget right you know if those are the two guiding principles there are definitely ways to do that but it would be a very different building than the person whose two leading goals are, you know, the best possible cleanest indoor air quality and the ability to be resilient for a month if there's a power outage or there's no Whoa, connection to the option? outside world. You know, like if you, you end up with extremely different looking and functioning and, you know, material palettes for buildings depending on what those criteria are. So you know, we spend a lot of time both with our the clients we build for and the people in our workshops, really helping people be clear on, okay, what is it you're trying to achieve? Once you know what that is, the kind of the materials and the systems present themselves because there will only be a couple options that actually meet your criteria. Totally. Yeah. Whereas, you know, we find what happens and it's it's you know, it's completely understandable this is how it goes, but people get interested in this stuff because of a material or a system. Like people get really excited about solar energy and so they want to have a solar house and our sort of tactic is to before you jump on the bandwagon of any one material or technology or something like that is to think about why do you want that solar house or why do you want that straw bale house or you know why do you want that buried earthship house you know figure out what the the underlying goals are and maybe that thing is what best serves those goals but Quite often we find that, you know, when we actually talk it through with people, there are potentially better ways of meeting those goals or sometimes goals come up that, you know, that, that are in direct conflict with that original idea, uh, but that sort of knowing what it is that you want to do and why then the, the how becomes quite easy after that. That's awesome. And that's something that, again, we encourage so much in trying to live a zero waste lifestyle just as an end user that you're figuring out what's your motivation. Because if you don't have a strong motivation for it, then when it becomes hard, you're, 
you're going to quit. So yeah, that's awesome. Are there any companies or people doing something similar right now that are inspiring you and getting you new ideas for different programs and courses and projects? Yeah, constantly. I mean, the design world, there are you know, people doing so many amazing things with buildings on the design and materials development keeps changing. You know, it could be somebody's full-time job endeavor, just keeping up with all the sort of like latest and newest and most interesting developments on the material side and the mechanical system side so yeah there's there's lots going on that's that's really inspirational like it's it's a really it's a very interesting time to be in this field because it really you know 25 years ago even five or ten years ago what we were doing was really obscure and it was very fringy and then it's really exploded in the last decade with people sort of, you know, realizing kind of the state of the planet and the, yeah. the need to start doing things better. And so it's it's a really it's really exciting to see ideas that that we had been talking about for so long yeah. suddenly, yeah, kind of. I wouldn't say it's made the leap to the mainstream, but it doesn't feel that far away. And you know, we're having conversations with people who I never thought we would be having conversations with even a few <laughs> years ago. So it's. And at the same time, sort of pessimistic because we have gotten the planet into a state where we need to be doing way more than what's actually happening now to, yeah, to rectify it. So like it's, great to, it's great to see the industry lifting its head and turning in that direction, but it, it hasn't actually taken any meaningful steps yet. It's kind of, but it's, it feels like it's, it's coming. That's wonderful. Yeah, I, it feels like a slow crawl every time and you go ahead and build this amazing zero house and other companies are building the worst possible version of that and are still also making money and making tons of these houses and putting up massive subdivisions that are just but we can't get discouraged we got to keep focusing on on keep going forward and and keep changing things yeah Yeah. where can people learn more about the endeavor center our website you know has our, our full course calendar and like I said, you know, full looks at all the, the projects we've done over the mm-hmm. past number of years. Um, lots of interesting sort of blogs about materials and stuff like that. So that it's a really good resource. And yeah, you know, our, our a lot of our courses run in Peterborough. So and interestingly, we typically have way more people from outside of Peterborough than than locals oh, taking yeah. the courses. So if people are listening to this and in Peterborough, it'd be great to see you. We're here. People come from all over the world to come to Endeavor, so it would be great if more local folks did the same. That's so great. Thank you so much for this conversation. I have learned about a topic that I never even really knew existed, so this is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to talk. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening, everyone. I think sustainability in construction and, in fact, zero-waste construction is such an incredible topic. It's totally realistic, and it's not widely enough known. So if you know somebody who is planning a home renovation, building an addition, building a home, or would benefit from hearing about the Endeavor Center, share this episode with them. If you have a chance today to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts for me or want to subscribe for future episodes, that would be so lovely. But whatever your listening platform is, look for new episodes every Sunday morning. And if you try something new you learned from the podcast, take a picture and tag us on Instagram. I'd love to celebrate with you. Keep enjoying that plastic-free July sunshine, folks, and talk to you soon.